Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Bull City Coordinators Duke football coverage slash basketball coverage podcast. That's right. We are uh, moving away from our regularly scheduled program topic of football to talk a little bit about basketball. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how great the football program is doing uh, these last couple of years. And it's made some of us uh, have a, have a great fall and a great lead in to the coming basketball season, which we don't always get. But we are enjoying it, and we are starting to get ready for for basketball to kick up. And really, there's nobody better to talk Duke basketball with than a guy who's coming back for his second interview here on the podcast. So I'm going to skip all the stuff about the voicemails and. Uh, the number to call, where to follow us, you you know all that already. This is, I think, our 71st episode, so if you don't know by now, that's your fault. Let's right. just get right into it. Our next guest played at Duke uh, from, I believe, 1986 to 1990. He wore number 21, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he went to three Final Fours. That is correct. Uh, Robert Bricky, how are you, sir? Man, I am fantastic, man. It's good to see you again. And listen, I don't know how many people have made – a second episode of the podcast, but I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm glad I'm glad to have you back because I enjoyed I enjoyed talking with you a lot the last time, and I'm glad we've stayed in touch. And listening to you talk about, and in particular, I'll, I'll tell you this: listening to you talk about as a coach, sometimes it's just not your night for your guys. Right. That's helped me with my son as he has been playing lacrosse, as he's been playing soccer. And sometimes you can kind of put everybody in the right spot. You can make the kicks. They just kind of land weird or you don't connect right. it. The pass goes a little bit long. Right. You know, and I just tell him, I said, son, you know, sometimes you just, it's just not your night. It's just, mm -hmm. it's don't, don't beat yourself up, beat yourself uh, up over it. And uh, hearing you talk about that has really helped me kind of communicate that with him. I don't know how much he's processing that yet, but I hope one day at least he'll get it. You know, I think he will. I think what happens is, you know, you're a little younger. You know, you're so vested in the in the game and you got your heart in it. And you get a little older, you learn how to manage uh, the, uh, the ups and downs a little better. And our daughter, who's nine, it's it's funny when you watch them play when her, her season just ended her soccer season just ended some days you'd catch them and the whole team would be locked in and then some days you know maybe they didn't have a great day at school or they're just tired they've been up late the night before whatever and they just they were just off and it, it just watching them sometimes again I, I just when I see that I keep in mind what what you had said during our last our last interview is you know sometimes you just gotta tell the guys well yeah just, just not our night and right. help them kind of move past it. I hope he will uh, process that. I think some of it though, is you probably remember this, your parents tell you stuff, you kind of let it go in one ear and out the other yeah. at this age. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I would, yeah. I, I remember those days and I, and I have a daughter. So, uh, but, uh, I, and she was an athlete when she was younger. So I, I remember, I remember those par parental challenges. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good way to phrase it. Uh, well, uh, why don't you? Uh, it's been a while since you've been, you've been on, which was my fault, uh, not reaching back out to you soon enough. And I'm glad I was able to correct that. But why don't you just catch us up? How, how have you been doing lately? Uh, how have things been going for you? Oh, life is good, man. Life is good. Uh, we were discussing 
uh, before we came on air, uh, uh, I'm getting married here at some point, which is, which uh, we had, we had a date, which was the 30th, October 30th, but we had to postpone uh, due to some reasons, nothing to do with the marriage, just uh, some, uh, an illness we had to deal with that we didn't expect. So, but life is good, you know, and uh, there's a saying, I, I, I try to live by blessed or the flexible for they shall not break. And if you can maintain flexibility in this world, I think you got a chance. I like the way that you phrase that. And whenever people hear there's been a continuance or a postponement of the wedding date, they naturally are afraid that the right. the, the soon to be wife has come to her senses and realized. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it right. wasn't anything like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, but let's think about the times in life where you're going up, moving along and, Something happens that you didn't expect and you have to make adjustments on the fly sometimes with no experience. So, uh, you know, if you can, if you can manage those days, you'll, you'll live a, a fruitful life. And that's one of the things that is interesting about my line of work doing, doing trial work is sometimes witnesses say stuff that you just kind of say, and all the times that we rehearsed and prepared this, you probably should have said that before we got into court, you know? Right. Right. Uh, but that is, uh, it is always interesting how things kind of, we don't plan on come up at the last minute. And like you said, you just kind of got to jump in and, and deal with those things. Right. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear you're, you're getting married. Congratulations. And, uh, I Thank know you. that's going to be a great day for you. So, uh, uh, congrats. And, and I know it's going to go well for you. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's, uh, I really didn't see it coming, but uh, it's a blessing. I'm it's I'm a, it's the right time in my life. I've, I feel like I've gotten myself together enough emotionally uh, to uh, be a great companion for somebody else. So I'm excited about it. Well, that's great. That's great. I'm I'm glad to hear it, and we wish you nothing but the best going forward. Let's talk a little bit, though, obviously about the basketball team. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you were on last, I think Shire had announced, it would have been announced he was going to take over the program. And you said, Coach K had to know something about right. this guy right? To, to name him, make sure he was going to be the next guy. And one season in, obviously it's too early to know forever if that's going to work. But man, one season in, my initial thoughts are great call. What were right. your thoughts about the team uh, and about how Coach Shire did last season? I thought they did an amazing job. Uh, I, I saw him at some point during the year uh, at a game and I, or at a, in an event. And I said, "Hey, has has it has the game slowed down yet?" And he he looked at me and knew exactly what I meant. And what I meant was, your first year as a head guy, even though you think you're prepared, things are going a million miles an hour. It's so and you. And you realize how much there is to take in and process and evaluate during a game. And, uh, you know, and that changes based on personnel, injuries, foul uh, situations, et cetera. And, and it's a lot of moving pieces. And to be able to manage it on the fly is a, is a skill. And I think he, by the end of the year, I could see his adjustments were different, his, his confidence and his his own ability was a different by the end of the year. So, uh, you know, and I think Coach K saw that ahead of time. And I know one one thing that's important is Coach K he, he's got his own legacy, but he wants 
Duke basketball to be forever changed. And so he's got to be concerned about the next generation. I think he made a fantastic pick. One of the things I liked about Shire was his demeanor on the sideline. Right. I I think you and I grew up in an era probably where we were used to uh, a little bit more to kind of the, the screamer, the yeller, the loud Mm -hmm. coach. That seems to be going away, and it's a different mindset, and it's a different way of of handling things. And I was really impressed with how calm Shire stayed, Mm -hmm. how cool he seemed to be, and how collected he seemed to be. And the players seemed to feed off of that. They never really seemed to to panic that much. I, I wonder if you have any commentary on that or any thoughts on that. Well, I, th- I think that's just a part of who he is. I remember him as a player. He was an emotional guy, but but very cool. Uh, he make big shots and big in, in big situations, and you know he'd celebrate, but he's not an over the top kind of guy. I think what gets him over is he he relates to this generation of players really well, and he knows how to communicate with those guys. And I think that's the important thing. Because kids today want to know that you care about them. Uh, and the way you care about them is, is you communicate with them and you help them grow. And, I, you know, I think he's still young enough that he's doing some growing on his own, but he, you know, he can. So he, his, his circle would overlap with that generation way better than yours and my circle. And uh, so he's able to understand and, 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 get to and touch guys in a way because you think, you know, we're thinking he's only got one year, but I'm looking at the recruiting class. First of all, the the players he's returning on top of the recruiting class is coming in. So he is doing something very well. One of the things that I think is particularly interesting about this team that we have coming in is it's going to be a really deep team one which was always an issue kind of towards the end of Coach K's era because of all the roster turnover. Right. But in addition to that, you have a lot of guys who are very talented, but none of them really seem to care too much about who's scoring or who's getting the ball. They all seem to be really uniquely focused on that team goal and you've been around basketball for a long time you played on a lot of really good teams with a lot of really good players you've been around great coaches and you've coached a lot yourself how hard is that to accomplish to get your guys to all buy in on that and just say hey you may not score as much as you want but we're going to win and we're going to have a chance to go really far i think that begins in the recruiting process so as you're looking at building a team who am i going to bring in that's going to help contribute in significant ways. And one of those ways is be a great teammate and, and understand the next guy was a McDonald's All-American too. Uh, but collectively, we all look better when we win. And if we can play our roles and contribute to the, the collective good, then great things will happen for all of us. Talk a little bit about, and and I'll be interested to hear your opinion on this. You mentioned it begins with recruiting. Obviously, you played at a very high level. You played with a lot of really talented guys. You yourself, very talented player. 
what sort of things do you look for in that recruiting process as you're trying to get guys who aren't me guys, but are right. team guys? Guys, well, one, guys that understand the game. If you understand the game, understand how to play the game, then uh, I think you think from a larger uh, 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 33,000 foot view than in, uh, on the court level view, because if if I'm a selfish guy, I'm, I'm worried about my productivity. I'm not concerned about how that fits into the team. I need to get mine. And so your view is different when you're a team guy. And so if you can find guys that think globally, so that's a decent term, uh, as opposed to locally, then you build a team of individuals who can play together and make great, make each other better. Now, one thing that, that I'd like to get your thoughts on as we come into this season, you've coached a lot. You've been a, around again, and I keep saying this, but a lot of a really great guys. I was pulling up some of the rosters that you uh, played on in your time at Duke mm-hmm. and you were around, I think certainly of, of my generation, the, the greatest coach, the greatest bas- college basketball coach and coach K going from year one to year two for coach Shire. What do you think the biggest challenge or collection of challenges will be for him as he navigates his second season as the head man in Durham? Man, I don't know how he pulled it off, but he, he, he brought back, all of his players, except for uh, a young man that went early to the uh, with his draft, I can't think of his name from Philadelphia, but uh, he managed to bring back guys without going guys jumping to the league who could have, as well as could have transferred. He brought all those guys back on top of an outstanding uh, freshman class, and I think they picked up a transfer. So his challenge will be. How do I merge all of this in the era of NIL money and transfer portal and keep it going? So it's that's a lot of moving pieces. That's a, and you think that so that means I've got a team of 13. That's 13 individual situations. I plus I've got to be looking at the next group. You know, who's not only do I have to look at high school seniors, I gotta look at maybe who's transferring. So that's that's so it's to to pull all that together and make it work, I think that's his biggest challenge in the year two. Now, I pulled up the roster for this season and, and saw who departed. Dariq Whitehead left and Derek Lively left. Not yep. critiquing Whitehead. He had some injury issues. His loss, I don't think, was as big as Lively. I mean, if you've got a right. guy like him who can control the paint, you know, it was like we saw with Mark Williams during Coach K's last right. year. You can go a long way. And then, of course, they've got uh, – this year they've got in, coming in McCain, Stewart, Foster, and Power along with an incoming transfer uh, from Stanford, uh, Neil – I'm going to mispronounce his last name, so I'll just say B, period, and leave it at that, uh, 6'9", 230, redshirt senior. It, it'll be interesting to see how these guys mesh with the established players and Roach, Proctor, mm-hmm. Mark Mitchell – Filipowski. Uh, I'm just curious. We, there's been some change too in the coaching staff. Will Avery's come back. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what he might bring 
to the team as a former player who, you know, took the team to the final four uh, or to the championship game against UConn, not to bring up bad memories of how that game ended. But yeah, man, I tell you, I, I love Will Avery. He's got a great spirit about him, one. But I, I think he's had a unique experience. Uh, his basketball career, he's had just some unique challenge, unique challenges, uh, and 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 had some success, and then you know had some ups and downs. So I think if you can, and he knows how to articulate that, he knows how to relate that to a young player. So I think he's going to bring a lot of uh, behind the scenes experience, and then plus he was a fantastic player himself. You know, had a pretty good pro career, et cetera. So he's got a lot to bring to the table, uh, and and I know Will personally, so I know. I really feel like he's going to do a great job. One of the, you know, one of the interesting things will be, I think this season, in addition to seeing how everybody fits well, but I always thought that, and this isn't anything revolutionary, but I always thought that coach K's teams were at their best when he had that really dominant point guard who could set the table. The exception was the 2010 team where Shire ended up playing a lot of point guard and they won the championship. That was really the outlier. What are your thoughts on, on the point, on the point guard situation where you've got, uh, you got Roach Proctor, and you've also got, you know, McCain who's six, three and can probably come over there and, and play at that position. some. But I'll tell you what, I feel good. Having been a coach, if I were going to build a team, the first thing I would get is a floor general in point guard spot. I mean, that is critical to your team's success because he's really uh, echoing your philosophy while on the court because, you you know, it's only so much direction you can do from the sideline. But your, your point guard – gets people in place. He runs your offense. He make and he's got to be able to make great decisions. And so, uh, yeah, that having Roach experience Proctor back for another year, uh, man, that's, that's huge to have two guys, you know, you feel good about who can, you know, inter- you can interchange. So you, you never lose. If I've got, one's got to go out of the game, you never lose a quality, your quality of production from the point guard spot. Let's talk a little bit about ceilings and floors. Obviously, this is all going to depend on on health, as we've seen in football of late with Riley Leonard getting hurt and then getting hurt mm-hmm. again against, uh, against the Seminoles. How far, if this team stays healthy, do you think that they can go this season? Just based on what they have returning, and I think, one of the things that people overlook in this day and age is experience, the value of experience. So I think Duke has got a good amount of experience returning plus a transfer. That's one of those things that you undervalue in winning is, you know, these guys have been there before they've seen it. They know, they know what to do in in big situations. So I'd have to look around the nation a little bit more, but based on my own interpretation, this is unbiased. I think they can be a final four team. I think that that's possible. I don't think that that's outside the realm of possibility. And to your point about experience, one of the things that we kind of saw, it was a little bit of a broken record with the one and done era has been Duke has all the talent in the world. And then they run up against an older, more experienced team, particularly in the NCAA tournament and 
out they go. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw that with Tennessee last season. Uh, and we'd seen it a lot of times before. So I agree with you. And I'm excited that we're having guys come back. And I hope that we see more of that mm-hmm. because I think that, that the Blue Devils can go further the more experienced they, that they are. I think the teams like the Paolo teams and the 2015 team, those are really more exceptions, I think, rather than the rule in college basketball. Uh, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit with you. There's two other topics that I want to cover with you at least. One relates to the football program. We talked a little bit about this the last time you were on, but th- these last two seasons have been phenomenal. Uh, and seeing the Blue Devils in late games, going to some of the night games. I was there for Clemson. I was there for NC State. I was there for Notre Dame where every seat was packed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every seat was full. The stadium was packed. It was fantastic. What are your thoughts about how the football program is doing right now? Oh, I I absolutely love it. Uh, In fact, when they're on, I try to watch uh, because, you know, when I I watch athletics, I really watch to evaluate the play. And so – I, there's certain teams I can't watch play because I don't think they execute very well. And certain teams I won't watch for whatever reasons. I like watching Duke play one because they have, uh, they, they are, they've got a degree of toughness. They've got speed and skill and they compete. I mean, they fly around and they're fun to watch. I was like, man, I was like, so I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see, what coach Elko has been able to do in building a culture. Uh, and, and I'm sure Duke is not the easiest place to try to build a football culture, but he evidently he's done a fantastic job. I tell you, man, I, this has been great. These two seasons have been phenomenal. And to your point, the strength and conditioning that they've done has made all the difference in the world. I mean, right. those guys can, I was watching the Florida state game and I was, I grew up in an era where when Florida state came in, Duke started going downhill Mm -hmm. and it got to a point where our guys were so much smaller than Florida state. That was not the case on Saturday. We had guys who could match up size wise and more important match up athletically speed compete. The schemes were fantastic. I mean, it was just, you know, the ending was awful, but Man, it was a great game, and it's just great to see that there because it helps with the exposure right. uh, for the school. And hopefully, you know, we we just keep Elko there for as long as, <laughs> as possible, right? You I know, mean, did, did, we, did we play Clemson the first game? Was it the first game of the year? Yes, sir, Labor Day. I remember commenting. I was texting with some of my Duke buddies during the game. Four or five years ago, this would have looked like a college versus high school football team in, in terms of size and speed. I was like, there's no difference. And I was like, there is no difference between Clemson and Duke at this point physically. And I was like, wow, that is a major upgrade right there. So, and like, like I say, I like watching them play. They're fun to watch. Well, they're, they're a blast. And, and it's been a really good time. And, you know, one of the last times that they were really – the Duke was really on the same level talent and competition wise was when you were it was right. when you were in Durham and, and they beat Clemson and went on that winning streak to yep. share the ACC championship in 89 with Virginia uh, shout out to UVA for beating Carolina this weekend. Um, <laughs> How about that? 
I, I told my dad, I said, I, I can't really enjoy UVA beating Carolina as much as I would because I was so upset about the Florida State game. But I, it's so amazing to see us go toe-to-toe with arguably the best team in the country and had a shot to win until late. I mean, we led in the fourth quarter, you know. I mean, right. to your point, how often can you say that about Duke football? Right. And this is this is like you to see Wallace Wade, and of course, they I thought they did a fantastic job of remodeling it, new press box, all that. So it looks fantastic. And then to see it full of people excited about Duke football, that was you know, it, it touched my heart, man. I was like, that that is great because you know, you go to Duke, which has been a basketball school, you know, so you're living in the shadow of the basketball program to some degree, but then you make your own mark. And, you know, I, and I love that. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been telling my friends, I say, we're a football school. <laughs> <laughs> We've had this joke going on, on Twitter about whenever there are messages of the basketball program, it's just, I didn't know Duke had a basketball team. You know, we've been doing that for about a month or so now. Right. And uh, it's, uh, it's gotta be fun for those guys too, after, especially the seniors, the older players, after yeah. everything they went through with the rough seasons, it's just gotta be a lot of fun. One thing though, that may not be fun. And, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Cause again, you've been around, uh, high level athletics for a long time you know all the people at the basketball program it sounds like you're still in touch with everybody there I'm curious what your thoughts are on the ACC expansion and you lived uh, the life of a student who was competing uh, on a high profile basketball team and had to travel a lot how do you think the addition of these three teams, Cal, Stanford, SMU, starting next season will impact the quality of life for the, the students who are playing sports at Duke. I think it presents some challenges, challenges. They will manage it. I'm sure they've got a system in place to minimize travel. Um, But I think your question speaks to a larger issue, which is conference realignment. (laughs) I mean, so I remember in a, in middle school, on Fridays of the ACC tournament, teachers would roll the TV cart in the room. I'm showing my age here, <laughs> and you watched ACC basketball on Friday, and you and there were eight teams, and it was and you you knew everybody, and everybody knew you. And we had great rivalries, and the travel was fairly easy. And now it's gotten to the point where you know, of course, money drives the train, but I mean, when does the model begin to get warped and say, hey, you know, we, we, we've gone too far. Uh, I think something has to be done. I'm not sure what, uh, but I, like if SMU comes to town, who cares? I mean, so you're not even drawing fan bases. You know, and, and even your home crowd is like, this of you. So, uh, I, I mean, I understand it, but I just don't think it makes much sense. So there are a couple of things that you said about, uh, and I don't use the term realignment anymore. I call it restructuring because I feel like it's more like a bankruptcy process where, 
where you're going through <laughs> right and you're getting rid of some things maybe adding some whatever so I, I i use restructuring and there's a couple of things that i wanted to say about that but particularly about to your point smu coming to town no knock on smu no knock on cal no knock on stanford um I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a, a way to say this that doesn't sound mean, but it takes a lot of time to go to a football game for me. Like I got to drive three hours and I had conversations with people this year. I, I said, I'm so used to the noon kickoffs. Like I feel like I'm getting here too early. Right. <laughs> right. But, but you lose a part of your day, a large chunk of your day and then driving back late at night. And now I just, fortunately, my brother lives close by uh, about 40 minutes away from, from Wallace Wade. So I'm, I'm staying there now for these night games, but it's a lot to invest in. And to your point, I don't really want to go see SMU. I don't, I may want to see Stanford just because, I mean, they're, they were part of a historic program for a long time, but Cal, I mean, I don't really care about, right. I I probably, I probably would go, but it wouldn't be my first choice. It's, it's a big time commitment for everybody, and I get it. I mean, I get why the ACC had to do it. There, it was Everybody was griping about money, and you had this free bag of money just kind of fall right. into your lap. I get it. But from my perspective, and I, I wonder what you think about this, it, it seems like it would kind of make sense to split football off into its own thing and then do the Olympic sports and go back to those in a different conference arrangement and go back to those nice small regional rival rivalries where people are not having to just spend all their time in airports and they can actually be students and enjoy the university. You know, we, we, I had this exact conversation with my buddies the other day and had the exact same idea. I said, you're going to have to separate football and basketball and, and figure out a way to make that make sense conference wise, or what, maybe you restructure it somehow. And then, you know, for those that are Olympic sports, you know, if you got a, or, or, or um, if you are rowing, you know, how do you get the, I don't even know what the rowing boat is called, but how do you get that to wherever you got to go? I mean, you got to think about a lot of things when you track, you know, so I think you're right. They've got a, NCAA's got a challenge ahead and they got, but they got to think out of the box. They got to get out of the box because it's, it's going to, it's all, it's going to fail at some point. We just don't know when. Well, and, and from a, I, look, you and I are probably in the same mindset. I'm a basketball, generally basketball first guy. Uh, that's the sport that I grew up uh, playing poorly, but loving and right. watching and I remember guys like you playing. I remember guys who were on your team playing. You know, I remember the championship teams as a kid. You know, that's that's what I remember. And to your point, I loved that you know, seven opponent conference that you had. And you mm-hmm. played everybody twice. And you knew exactly how good everybody was. You're mm-hmm. not having to go through this strength of schedule uh, nonsense tiebreaker format because you have a 17-team conference, right? I I really miss that and i think it makes sense to split up the football and the the olympic sports into something else and i mean wouldn't it be great if if the acc basketball could have something like the the big east as now with a with a real committed basketball tournament i mean sign me up for that right oh god yeah i I think the big east figured something out (laughs) and they they understand their strengths 
and they stuck to it, which I think is great. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, smarter people than me will, will have to come up with ideas, but I just, and it's going to be, I think it'll be something radical and, and maybe they're afraid the public won't accept it, but we're headed in a bad direction. And, you know, it, it, it would be wise if you recognize it now and figure out a way not to have a train wreck at the end of this. Uh, I, just, I think, it, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. There you go. Oh, no, I was going to say to your point where we're headed to a train wreck. One of the things that I've been loosely paying attention to are some of the lawsuits that players have filed to try to unionize and mm-hmm. to get employment protections because right. I, I don't know how in the world you can say that these, uh, these students who play on teams for the school are not employees under any sort of employment test. There's just no way you can get to the conclusion. They're not employees. I think what's going to have to happen is a, is a bunch of litigation. It's going to take a bunch mm-hmm. of litigation. I think that's going to drive it and really force the NCAA to give up the power that it has mm-hmm that's really the only leverage to make it happen uh, is, is fear of on the NCAA's part of something terrible happen happening to them that would cause them to be divested of a lot of money that they otherwise don't want to be divested of. That's the only way I think it's going to change. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that about how that might happen. Yeah. I don't, I, I have no idea, but it's, it's maybe it's like uh, NIL didn't California, wasn't California the first state to, Adopt the NIL. I think so. Yeah, I think so. They started pushing that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's going to take something like that. You know, somebody's going to have to really buy in. And all of a sudden, everybody else is going to have to realize, well, if we don't offer it, we we may have some troubles. So it's going to take some radical thinking and action on somebody's part to make this essentially a monopoly. So, you know, if you, you think about it, you know, so how do you how do you break it up and and reinvest it uh, equitably? Well, to to your point, I I was thinking about how some of the the U.S. senators have said it's hard to root for players who are in college who are millionaires now. One, that's not a whole lot of them. Right. Two, that's not a bad thing because they have short careers mm-hmm. athletically. I, it doesn't bother me that they're getting paid. Good for them. Uh, but three, I don't understand why you wouldn't root for a kid to succeed, get some money early, and then get a chance to, if something bad happens to him physically, right? If he gets hurt, right. uh, suffers a career-ending injury, which can happen, you know, he can get with someone like you and and get it invested and get it protected and do something with it to to grow and be there for the rest of his life. I, I don't see any downside of that. Is there something that I'm <laughs> that I'm missing there and how I look at it? Now, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, you you've got a skill that's marketable. Anywhere else in the world, you get paid to do that. Uh, so, I, I think there's some limits on it. I I kind of like that. Uh, but overall, I think it's a good thing. I think aren't they adopting that for high schools now in North Carolina? That I'm not sure. I haven't followed that too closely. I, I saw there was I, something about legislation with that. Yeah, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna pass, and so that's gonna change again. Change the the landscape of high school basketball. So it'll be professional on every level starting after middle school from now on. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. Um, yeah. 
Well, those guys need to get good financial advisors. So they need to, they need to reach out to people like you and <laughs> make sure right. when you get that money that it's protected uh, and something good will come from it. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, Robert, you and I have, have talked for a while now. I've asked you a bunch of questions uh, and you know this from being on before. I give everybody who comes on an open mic to, to say whatever they want to talk about and to, to uh, address whatever they want to address. So the floor is yours. I'll just send out some uh, positive vibes. Uh, I think uh, when we look around the world today, since, you know, the chaos, the uh, separation, the, you know, people going to war, it's, it's you know, we're, we're living in some different times now. And uh, just, uh, I think if we had more positivity in the world, the world would be a better place. Well, those are great comments. Uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to make those. And folks, you know where to find us. Uh, go to our website, BullCityCoordinators.com. Check us out on Twitter, at DukeFBCoverage. Our DMs are open. Send us an email, BullCityCoordinators at gmail.com. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. And as always, go Duke.